So today I want to talk about a group of dysfunctional people. Now, do we have any dysfunctional people here today? Actually, don't raise your hands, okay? Because <laughs> this is on videotape, okay? But you, we know who we are, right? Okay, I'll ask a little less threatening question. Did any of you grow up in a dysfunctional family, or maybe you're in one right now? Okay? Again, don't raise your hands, but just answer it to yourself. All right, another question. Have any of you ever been in a dysfunctional church? Okay, I'm sure some of us would raise our hands to that. Last question. Are any of you in a dysfunctional church right now? (laughs) Ah, I got you on that one. Today I want to talk about a group of dysfunctional Christians. Now, actually these Christians lived a long time ago. They lived in the first century A.D., in um, an area of the world called Asia Minor, in a small town called Colossae. But actually, these Christians, as we're going to see, are a lot like us here today. Today, we're beginning a new sermon series. We're going to leave behind our study on evangelism. We feel like you're out there doing that, hopefully now. We're going to move into our fall sermon series on Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Um, Now, Colossae, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, one biblical scholar describes it this following way. He says that it was an insignificant market town. Now, does that sound familiar? Um, You know, in many people's eyes, maybe your own eyes, we live in an insignificant town. Williamsburg is just an insignificant little town. But you know what? I am so happy that God loves insignificant small towns because he inspired the Apostle Paul to write a letter to one of them. And that's the letter that we're going to spend the next few months looking at, working our way through. Now, another thing that we know about the church in Colossae is that it was made up of a group of Christians from different economic, social, and uh, racial backgrounds. Now, that sounds a lot like our church also. The Christians in Colossae were like most Christians. Um, In many ways, they were doing well in their Christian lives, but they also had a lot of problems. And what was really messed up for them was their doctrine, especially what they believed about Christ. Listen to some of the things that they believed. Some of them were trying to mix God's truth with human philosophy. Now, we're not exactly sure what kind of philosophy they were following, but if we were thinking about today what that might look like here, that could be things like self-help psychology, um, positive thinking, or secular humanism. Because each of these things are very common in churches here today in America. Some of the Christians in Colossae were more concerned about um, following traditions and rules than about uh, following Christ. In other words, they were trying to gain God's acceptance and his approval through their actions, through their behavior, rather than just resting on what Christ had already done for them. Now today we call that legalism. Another uh, believers in Colossae were caught up in the worship of spiritual beings other than God, like angels. Now today, we, that might include things like the New Age movement, 
reading horoscopes. Now, I'm sure that none of you here do that, right? Um, but unfortunately, in today's churches in America, we can, find, we can find all those things. Well, that's not all. There were other Christians in Colossae who practiced asceticism. Now, asceticism is where we try to control our bodily lusts through different forms of self-denial, through following certain kinds of rules. You know, like, don't do this and don't do that. And the problem with these kind of rules, I think we've all tried them, is that they simply don't work. Because it's really fighting the flesh with the flesh. Now, if that all wasn't enough, there was even another group of Christians in Colossae who were from a Jewish background, and they were trying to mix following Christ with obeying all the Old Testament law. So for them to have a a, a fruitful Christian life, a person needed to to obey the Old Testament laws, such as the Sabbath, uh, Jewish religious festivals, and circumcision. Now, probably none of us here today are, are, following, doing, are following that or having to, trying to do that. But we all, in our, our different ways, we try to add things that we do to please God in, to what Christ has already done for us. When we look at the Church of Colossae, we're not really sure exactly what form all these wrong beliefs uh, fit together. Maybe there were different groups of Christians in the church that followed each of these different teachings. But more likely, there was a combination of all these different wrong beliefs that were found in in the church in Colossae. But what I want us to see today is that in many ways, the Christians in Colossae are a lot like us. Because all of us have a long way to go in our understanding of the sufficiency of Christ and how we need to live the Christian life. So it's easy to point our fingers today at these Christians in Colossae and kind of look down on them and all their problems. But we have to say, we'd have to say if we're honest, that in a lot of ways we are much like them. As we begin our study of the book of Colossians today, I want to just say that I'm really excited because personally in a church, I can identify a lot with this group of Christians, this dysfunctional group of Christians. And what really excites me, what really ministers to my heart as I have studied this book over the last few months is the solution to their problems that the Apostle Paul gives them. Please open your Bibles to the letter of Colossians chapter 1. Today I want to read the first eight verses of chapter 1. Would you please stand with me? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understand God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ 
on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Please be seated. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae. And the interesting thing here is that when Paul wrote this letter, he had never, ever been to the city of Colossae. This town was evangelized during Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, We're told in the book of Acts that Paul spent over two years in another city in Asia Minor called Ephesus. Ephesus is about 100 miles to the west of Colossae. Um, And Acts 19.10 tells us that through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So while Paul was in Ephesus, one of his co-workers, named Epaphras, traveled from Ephesus to Colossae, and he evangelized the city there, and a new church was started. Now, all this happened during Paul's third missionary journey. Now, if we fast forward a couple years later, we find Paul in Rome, sitting in a prison, awaiting a trial by the emperor. And Epaphras, who probably was in Colossae all this time leading the church, traveled all the way from Colossae to Rome just to meet with the apostle. And his purpose was to share with them uh, about the false teaching that had risen up in the church there and to get Paul's advice. So Paul's letter to the Colossians that we're going to be looking at is his response to what Epaphras shared with him. And in this letter, Paul is going to talk about two major themes to correct the error of the Colossian Christians. We're going to hear a lot about the person and the work of Christ and the believer's new life in Christ. The person and work of Christ and the believer's new life in Christ. So Paul's going to talk a lot about each of these two themes in this letter. But you know what? Everything he says can be summarized in one phrase that's sort of near the middle of this this letter. And it's really sort of the theme statement of the whole letter. And it's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, and it's this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What we're going to hear about in this letter is Paul's going to tell us that Christ is supreme over all things. Christ is all-powerful. Christ is all-loving. He's he's perfectly holy. Um, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And this Christ, the same Christ that's Lord over all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, He lives in you. And He wants to do some incredible things in you and through you. Now, if we could just understand the incredible things that God wants to do in us through Christ. He wants to change us and to use us. The Christians in Colossae needed to hear these truths because they thought that to live the Christian life, Christ was a good beginning, but He wasn't enough. That to really go on in the Christian life and to bear fruit for Christ, they needed to follow certain rules and practices. And this letter is Paul's attempt to tell them in as strong a term as he can, no, over and over again, he's going to tell them Christ is enough. Everything that we need for salvation, for sanctification, for Christian living, 
For bearing fruit for him is found in Christ. Christ in his person and in his work on the earth is sufficient. We cannot add anything to what he's already done. And this is God's word for us today. Because all of us, based on our human reasoning at times, we try to add things that we have to do in addition to what Christ has already done for us. Let me give you some examples. We believe and we teach others that to live for Christ, to bear fruit for Christ, we should do certain things. And if we do these things, these actions, we will automatically grow in Christ. We will automatically please God. Things like we need to read the Bible every day. We need to pray every morning. We need to attend church every Sunday. Actually, every time the door opens, we need to be there. We need to pay our tithe to the church. Now, before you uh, get up and leave, before you get together and try to vote me out of this church as a heretic, I want to just tell you what I'm saying here. What I'm not saying is that these are things that should not be found in the life of a healthy Christian. But what I'm trying to say here is that these things, these outward actions, will not automatically produce fruit in our life. They will not automatically make us closer to God. They're our human attempt to please God. Because Christian maturity, an effective life in Christ, comes from one thing and one thing only, and that's having a vital living relationship with Christ. And that's it. We will grow up in Christ. We will bear fruit for Him when we maintain a living relationship with Christ. These are ways that we can do that. We can, we can maintain this relationship with Christ as we abide in Him, as we obey Him and, and follow Him faithfully, as we commune with Him through prayer, as we listen to Him speak to us through His Word, as we experience Christ in worship, as we share uh, and spend time with other people, other believers in Christ. But you see, the difference is not our actions. It's the fact that we're experiencing a relationship with Christ as we do those things. In this letter to the Colossians, Paul is going to continually point the believers in that church back to Christ. And with the possible exception of his letter to the Ephesians, in this letter, Paul will tell us more about the person of Christ and the work of Christ than any of his other letters. So today, we can be really thankful that the Christians in Colossae had such a mixed-up theology because it was the occasion for Paul to write this incredible letter that tells us things about Christ that he doesn't tell us anywhere else. Now, this is just a few, a few things about the overall message of this letter as we sort of introduce this sermon series. But let's just take a, a few minutes and look at our, our verses for today, the first eight verses of chapter 1. When we look at these verses, something incredible jumps out. And I just, this is what really I saw immediately. Look at how Paul addresses the Christians in this church. These Christians who have such a dysfunctional view of who Christ is and what the Christian life is all about. In verse 2, Paul, Paul calls them holy and faithful brothers in Christ. 
Holy here means that they are set apart for the work and, and uh, worship of God. Faithful means that they are trying to follow Christ. And brothers calls attention to the fact that despite their differences in, in racial and social and economic uh, matters, that they're, out, they're bound together into one spiritual family. So Paul starts off in a really positive way. And then when we get down to the next few in Paul's prayer for the Christians there, it gets even better. Paul compliments them for their faith, for their love, which are anchored in the hope that's awaiting them in heaven. Paul says to them, he says, look guys, you have the big three. You have faith, hope, and love. You know, Paul talks about those things in, in a lot of his letters, such as 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now, Wait a minute, aren't these the same Christians who, who are so messed up in their theology? Who have such a dysfunctional view of who Christ is? Aren't these the same Christians that Paul's going to spend the rest of his letter trying to correct their wrong view of who Christ is and how to live the Christian life? The incredible thing to me about this opening of the, of the letter is how Paul begins this letter, how he addresses these Christians. He understands that they need a lot of help, that they have a lot of changing in their view of things. But basically, he starts off the letter by saying, guys, I want to tell you something. You're doing well, but you know what? You can do better. Actually, you can do a lot better. And I really love that because that's what I need in my Christian life. You know, I, I know personally that I have a long way to go. My Christian life, I'm far away from, from where I want to get to. I need a lot more of Christ in my life. Right now, for example, I'm praying for God, for more of God's power in my life and ministry. And I know that it's available. I know that I desperately need it. So let me tell you what I need from you to go forward in my Christian life. I need your encouragement prayers. And I need your teaching. These are the kind of things that are going to help all of us to move forward in our Christian life. And the wonderful thing about how Paul starts his letter to the Colossians and what he does all through the letters, he's not going to beat, up, beat them up because of how far they, short they fall to God's perfect standard. That's not Paul's goal in this letter. What Paul wants to tell them, what Paul wants to tell us here at Cornerstone Community Church is, hey guys, you're doing You know Christ, you're trying to follow Christ. But I want you to know that there's more. There is so much more available to you. Christ is so much greater than what we think. Guys, we all need more Christ. I need more Christ. There's, there's a fundamental principle of spiritual growth, and that's this, that God's basic ingredient for spiritual growth is need. Listen to how one author, a guy named Miles Stanford, put it. He said, The reason our Father creates and allows needs in our lives is to turn us from all that is outside of Christ, centering in Him alone. 
Not I, but Christ. Galatians 2.20. All too often, believers are exhorted and even pressured to grow before there is an acute awareness of need. Before there is a true spiritual hunger. And sad to say, in most instances where there is a real spiritual hunger, very little spiritual food is offered. We'll never know that we need more of God until we realize that what we have is not enough. Let me ask you today, do you need more of Christ? Are you satisfied with where you are in your personal holiness, in your moral purity, in your prayer life, in your understanding of God's Word, in your serving of others, in your sharing Christ with the people around you? This is why I'm really excited about this study of, the, of Colossians, because I believe, I'm convinced, that if we are really serious about seeking more of God in our life, then we're going to end this letter, our study of this letter in the fall, in a different place, individually and as a church. But you know, before that can happen, we have to have hearts that are hungry for more of God. I could stand up here every week, the other pastors could stand and preach at you and tell you all these wonderful truths about who Christ is and what he wants to do in your life. But if you, don't, if you don't have a heart that's really seeking God, that really wants more of God, you're going to just walk out of here with a lot more knowledge in your head. And your life is not going to be changed. So today, as we begin our study of the book of Colossians, God is challenging us to examine our hearts. Do you hunger for a greater work of God in your life? Do you desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection more? Or are you like so many Christians who are just comfortable in your Christian life? Maybe you're thinking, you know, what's the big deal here? You know, I'm a Christian and I don't do the big sins. I don't drink and, and, and smoke and sleep around. You know, what's the big deal well, I've been thinking a lot this week about this question of how do we get more of this hunger for Christ in us? Because it's a, I know it's a place where all of us need to be. And I know that sometimes it requires some kind of a crisis or a major failure in our life. You know, a relationship fails, a marriage ends, we lose a job, and then we cry out to God for help. Um... It could just be a little failure, like earlier this week when one of, one of our sons acted up and I responded in an ungodly manner. And I realized that, God, you've got to do something in me. This is, not, this is not good. Sometimes it happens when we have to make a, a significant decision in our life and we realize that we need more wisdom from God. Um, another time is when we're really trying over and over to overcome some area of, of sin in our life or some problem in our life, and we just can't have victory in that area. This happened to me when I lived in Russia as a missionary. Because of the different culture there, there was an area of temptation that I was really struggling with that I thought I had conquered when I lived here in America. And I remember one day literally getting down on my knees and crying out to God 
and saying, God, I just can't do this. You know, in spite of all this experience and knowledge that I have as a Christian, I cannot overcome this problem. And either you're going to do a new work in my life to enable me to overcome this, or I'm going to quit and just move back to America. Now, God answered that prayer because over the coming months, God began to teach me some new truths about his grace that really changed my life. And those are still with me here today. So I want to ask you today, right now, do you feel in your heart a need for more of God, for a deeper work of Christ? And if you don't, if you're honest and say, I don't really feel that, then the only thing I know to do is to tell you, to advise you, just to get down on your knees, either here today or when you go home, and cry out to God. Repent of your hard, callous heart and ask Him to change you, to give you a heart that loves Him and seeks Him more than anything else in the world. Listen to the words of Paul in another one of his letters, the, book, the letter to the Romans. He said, do you show contempt for the riches of not realizing that God's kindness leads you to, toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for that day of God's wrath when the righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, through his kindness, God is reaching out to us. He wants to do a deeper work in our lives, to use us in a greater way to impact the people around us. But now is the time for us to prepare our hearts to allow God to do that. So as we go through our study of the the letter to the Colossians this fall, I'm praying that God is going to open our eyes more and more to our need for him to put in our hearts a greater hunger for Him and to fill us with more of His love and His faith and His joy and His power. This is where we're headed. And this is where, by God's grace, we're going to arrive. Please bow your heads in prayer.